listening to episode three of the Down on the Farm podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Grosnick. The Down on the Farm podcast is a companion to the Down on the Farm newsletter available for subscription on Substack, where we cover all things minor league baseball with a professional data-driven point of view. Today's guest is Craig Calcaterra of the Cup of Coffee Substack newsletter and formerly of the late Hardball Talk, where he was NBC's lead national baseball writer, O. And Craig recently published Rethinking Fandom, How to Beat the Sports Industrial Complex at Its Own Game. That's a lot, Craig. I think that covers most of it. Am I missing anything? No, but I don't get out much, so it's easy to do. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I, I really wanted to invite you on the show today because um, I, in some ways you're kind of like the godfather of the Down on the Farm newsletter, uh, whether oh, you intended that or not. Uh, I mean, I, I think I was one of the people that promoted it early. Yeah. But Godfather's too strong, man. I, I can't do favors for people. I can't do anything. I'm more like that weird, strange uncle who like floats into the family reunion once every you know five years and, and says something kind of insightful and then leaves. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, well, well, thank you for being our weird uncle. Um, you know, it was it was but through the cup of coffee Substack newsletter that was the gateway to a lot of our subscribers sit down on the farm, including myself. I had no idea what the newsletter was before I read your newsletter, and then you know it's like that that weird newsletter hopscotch, and now I'm a, a contributor here. So so yeah, thank you for that. I really well, appreciate it. It's you no know, need to thank me at all. Actually, I thank you guys uh, for for running it and doing it because. Um, as as will be very clearly established as we talk here over the next few minutes, I am by no means anywhere approaching a minor league expert. And and the one thing that happens when you want to learn about minor league stuff, and I'm sure you have experienced this in the past and everything, is there's all kinds of things about prospects. But day-to-day minor league stuff, like here's what happened yesterday, or this is something that's interesting that happened in you know a game or whatever, um, and it might mean something. There's not a lot of that. It's a shockingly little amount of that, actually, about minor league baseball as opposed to just like, you know, prospect stuff. So I'm glad you guys exist. Thanks for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, there's more prospect stuff than I think even uh, demand for at this point, just because there's so much interest in, in younger players. And there's, there's, you can, a lot of people can guess a lot about prospects without a whole lot of, uh, knowledge or information. So that might lead us into uh, one topic that I'd like to talk through today, which is, you know, we're starting the spring training season. We're starting to see some new things as far as players go, but also as far as rule changes, different folks in different uniforms, new new players on new teams, lots of, lots of newness. There always is leading into spring training 2023. So on that kind of token, is there anything that you're seeing so far in spring training that's particularly interesting to you, uh, baseball-wise, rules-wise, player-wise, anything in that kind of like general area that's already jumped out to you in the first couple of weeks of, uh, of baseball spring? Well, it's not unique because everybody's been talking about it, but the pitch clock has obviously been the topic so far of the couple of weeks worth of spring training we've had. Um I was an advocate for the pitch clock a long, long time ago when people first started talking about the possibility, even before they were using it in the minor leagues. I, I don't know. I sort of lean traditionalist, maybe a little bit more than than other people who at least at one time in their lives identified themselves with the sabermetric movement. So, you know, a lot of my readers were a little surprised that I advocated for the for the pitch clock, but I, I have steadfastly advocated for it. And so far, I love it. Um, yeah. I I hate 
seeing it. I don't want to see the countdown <laughs> because it gives me anxiety. Uh, I want the pitcher and the batter to have anxiety, not me. <laughs> right. All I want is because I'm an old, old, old man. I want to watch baseball like I watched it in, you know, 1987 or something when the guy got the ball, threw the ball and repeated and you didn't have to sit around for 10 minutes. I'm not going to get overly curmudgeonly about, you know, the pace of play and all that kind of stuff. I, I get it. And I, especially in the internet era, I am more than capable of having my laptop or something next to me while a game drags on and I can make those three, four hours, however long it is, matter. But I, I really have liked the the increased pace. And more than just for its own sake, I'm really looking forward to see how it affects performance as far as pitcher performance, batter performance, velocity, things like that. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see so far from the like game watching experience. I have had some experience with the pitch clock in the minor leagues going to games uh, last year, and it was it was a little bit noticeable. I felt like when you were in the stadium and you were watching the game, but for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because we have the giant clock on the screens when we're watching the games now, but man, it it seems to make things go at at such an increased pace just from a a visual watching perspective, at least for me, watching these first couple of spring training games, it feels like there's a lot more tension, a lot more intensity in the you know 20 or, or however many seconds between pitches now. Yeah, seeing the difference in games themselves right now is, is a big thing because I see there to be more tension and more intensity in between the pitches. Do you get that when you watch it? Do you get a little bit more of that like tension or is it just something that you're happy to see happening because it's it's making the overall length of the game shrink a little bit? Uh, I'm getting that a little bit right now. And I think a lot of that is because they are showing the clock. A couple of the spring training parks have a giant clock behind home plate that you can see on the uh, on the behind the pitcher's mountain view, the center field camera. Uh, my understanding is that the major league parks, they're not going to be in view. The physical clock won't be in view. Now, the big question is whether or not the networks are going to put a little corner clock, put it on the score bug or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of hope they don't because, I mean, my experience is the same as yours. I live in a AAA town. I live in Columbus, Ohio. So I go to a lot of Columbus Clippers games. And when they first had the longer clock and then last year, the the, the, the quicker clock, you notice it for half an inning, maybe if that, and then it just kind of goes away. And it's just, if you just watch the game and only in tense situations, does the crowd even do the, you know, five, four, three, two. Right. Um, I, I don't need that in my life. I don't think anybody wants, I mean, people want baseball to be leisurely. They just don't want it to be, you know, comatose. The, the, the excitement, the anxiety, whatever you want to call it, the intensity, I think that will go away with people being used to it. And I'm and I hope it goes away with people being used to it. I just want to see, you know, more pitches per minute than we saw before. And as far as game length goes, I, I don't care so much about that, like so many people say. For me, it's a pace situation. Got it. There there can be a three hour and forty seven minute game that just zips by because people are playing at a pretty decent pace, but there are a lot of runs scored or it goes extra innings or something, and that doesn't bother me. Uh, and there can be a, a, a three-hour even game that is just dreadful because, you know, nothing's happening and the guys are holding the ball. So uh, I just want to see the pace increased. Yeah, and and you were talking a little bit about the performance aspect of it. Are, is it going to help pitcher performance? Is it going to lead to more injuries? I, I keep going back to this idea that there, there definitely can be some pitchers like we've seen with Kevin Gaussman who needs to actually change his delivery as a mm-hmm. result of the pitch clock because it's taking so long. Then you see guys like Max Scherzer who 
is trying so hard to play mind games with opposing <laughs> hitters using the pitch clock and having some fun with that, or at least it, it seems like it's fun. It's probably not very much fun for the hitters, but it, it seems like he's having fun out there. Um, I, I kind of am thrown off by what these downstream effects could be uh, for pitchers, for hitters. I was very surprised to see up front that it, it, it at least feels like right now that the pitchers are adapting easier to the pitch clock than the hitters, which is not what I would have expected. But I'm wondering if you can um, it can enlighten us a little bit on what you see some of those downstream effects might being, if there are any, uh, you know, things that we haven't really planned for yet. Well, first of all, that that pitchers being ahead of the hitters thing on the clock is was interesting to me as well. Uh, but it it made some sense when I thought about it a little bit. I mean, this has always been cast as a mandate on pitchers right right so when they started talking about it before every all the pitchers have got it in their mind oh man i have to change what i gotta do i gotta i gotta optimize this i gotta figure out how to how to deal with the pitch clock so pitchers have been thinking about it hard and you know teams and coaches have been thinking about how to help the pitchers i don't think hitters took it as seriously as they needed to i mean (laughs) under the rule it is also incumbent upon the hitter to be set we noticed this uh first spring training game when there were a couple of uh, automatic strikes called and stuff. So I just don't think the hitters took it all that seriously. I think most of them just figured, well, I'm just going to go up and do my thing. I'm always waiting for the pitcher anyway. And we didn't realize that for the last 25 years, it's been a mutual thing. They're both pushing each other. Sure. Um, the, the bigger downstream or the more significant downstream effect that I am really curious to see, and I don't know how it's going to go, but my my presumption is that this will, over the course of weeks and months into the season, lead to a little more offense, more balls in play, and mostly lower velocity from pitchers. And and my thinking is, if you've got to throw a pitcher a pitch much faster, you can't do that. Gather yourself, gather yourself, take a big deep breath, take another big deep breath, and then give it full max effort on a pitch. Um, you see guys doing that. I, I know that mechanics, and I know that. Uh, physical fitness and everything is a big factor behind velocities going up over the last you know couple of decades. But I also think that it's a matter of guys taking a lot of time gearing up for that next big pitch. They're not going to be able to do that as much, especially relievers who come in and throw triple digits or something. I don't think you can do that. So my guess is you're going to see uh, guys who rely on max velocity and effort having some trouble. You're going to see guys that are catch it and pitch it, you know, work the corners, movement and stuff. There aren't many of them left, but those sort of throwbacks, those guys are going to do okay. And I think there'll be a a greater premium on rhythm. There'll be a greater premium on timing. And for me, I think that's just a rebalancing of a game that's gotten a little out of balance. Yeah, I I certainly agree that there's a lot of benefit I could see to lower velocity, just a slight tick down in velocity, making there'd be more balls in play. And I, I think there's a lot of people from, uh, I, I don't know if it's fair to say our generation, yours and mine, as is, is kind of wanting to see more balls in play, wanting to see more running, wanting to see more, not necessarily moving the ball, uh, moving the runner over, but just more action on the field, triples, steals, balls in play. It's it's kind of for at least some subset of the baseball watching public, it's, a, it's an aesthetic thing that we tend to look for. So I would be excited if the only knock-on effect would be a little bit less velocity and a little bit more balls in play. The concern that I guess I have about it, and I don't know if this would be shared by anybody else, is that with the inability to get set and really gather yourself and throw that hard, I worry more about end-of-game pitching, where Mm -hmm. we have pitchers going in late in games and maybe getting tired faster. And we've seen a lot of 
in the past that uh, injuries tend to happen when a pitcher is, is fatigued, not when a pitcher is fresh. So maybe those one inning relievers, they might be throwing a little bit less, but maybe they're not as much as a, a, of an injury risk anymore. Whereas we're continuing to see the pitchers that we want to see go deep into games, your Jacob DeGroms, your Max Scherzers, your Justin Verlanders, um, maybe they will have a little bit more trouble going late into games or getting injured more at the end of games. And I, I, I really hope that's not the trade-off, I guess, that we would be making here. I hope that it's just this slightly diminished velocity, more interesting batted ball uh, outcomes for, for hitters. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's like any exercise or any physical exertion, there's always going to be a trade-off between, you know, power and, and speed. And my hope is that the pitchers who, uh, you know, rely on a lot of velocity are going to try to consciously tick back a little bit and maybe pitch a little bit more instead of throw a little uh, because they know they have to do that, that that's the trade-off. But, you know, young guys in their 20s who have gotten where they've gotten because of their physical gifts aren't always the most amenable to being told to back off a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there are going to be guys that are still going to try to do max effort, but just try to do it in a more compacted time frame. And that, yeah, that could be dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if you've ever spent any time around major and minor league baseball players, I think um, the, the air of invincibility and, uh, and confidence and self-possession that these guys have, I, I'm trying to tell them to back down a little bit is, is probably going to be a fool's errand just as you. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I do not envy the coaches, the pitching coaches, the, the trainers, uh, you know, the, now they have, you know, second level sort of coaches as far as like pitching philosophy and body mechanics and all that kind of stuff. I, all those people are going to have their work cut out for them. For sure, for sure. So going into the players and going into the teams, um, we're, we're getting into the start of the season. Your newsletter, you when the season's going, you're covering every single game, giving us a little bit of a recap on what's happening across the league. And you've got this great national view of, of everything that's going on in baseball from a results perspective, from a process perspective. So going into 2023, you're going to be looking at everything. What are some of the things that are really most exciting, interesting to you so far with whether it's a player you're interested in watching, a team you're interested in watching, a change that's being made somewhere, what what are some of the things you're you're kind of pumped for going into the season? Well, right now it's sort of a broad dynamic that I'm really interested in, and that is the the teams making the next step. And mm-hmm. the ones I'm thinking of the most are it's no secret to anybody: the Toronto Blue Jays, the Seattle Mariners, the San Diego Padres. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if you can count any of the teams in the NL East because the three on top are big beasts, but seeing who is going to step up, because I think the Dodgers are going to take a step back. Eventually Houston is not going to be Houston anymore. And and I I'm liking this new generation. It's, I won't call it turnover because we know how it works. I mean, the Yankees haven't won a world series in a long time, but they're always good. So they don't really turn over, but you do see other teams come to the front. Uh, Cleveland, for example, I know that they won the division last year, but I'd like to see them take another step they they got a little better and and seeing those teams sort of emerge uh as as sort of the powers of their league as opposed to the frisky teams i, I use the word frisky a lot because i rip off bill simmons terribly but um <laughs> i i'd like to see the padres the mariners those guys take that next step and i hope they can i'm not rooting for them in the way a fan would root for them but i think it's good for the game uh, if the Dodgers don't win 111 games again, right? So, and it would be better for the game if, uh, you know, the, the Padres or the Blue Jays or somebody uh, emerged in their division. Yeah, I mean, with the Padres, you know, as an example, I, I think without getting too deep into 
the politics of it, I think a lot of people are excited, um, at least fans are excited when you see the Padres spending all of this money. And it, it kind of creates a, a different balance in the baseball ecosystem where you have a what what's considered a smaller market team spending a lot of money, really going for it, building an exciting core. And maybe it's not a team that was in the national consciousness for a long time before now. I mean, I, I really don't think most people cared much about the the boring brown Padres for much of the early part of this century. And seeing that kind of rebalancing as opposed to the same teams every single year. I mean, those are good for those brands, but they may not be as good for us baseball watchers who get to see some different players in some different places. Um, and I mean, for the Padres in particular, you mentioned the Padres and the Mariners. Those baseball stadiums are beautiful stadiums, great fan bases, lots to sell on on the baseball experience there when it's not just about Chavez Ravine and Yankee Stadium. And <laughs> I mean, we still want to see we want new people to hate too right i mean let's let's not be too boosterism i mean <laughs> i i think hating houston has sort of run its course i, I know yes. that there are people out there who don't believe that but i, I i'm kind of bored with hating the houston astros it's, it's, it's past i want the padres for example and i say this as you know my brother lives in san diego and has lived there for like 25 years i've been to a ton of padres games i do radio in san diego a lot I, they're not my team or anything but i'm I have a bit of an identification with the Padres and I want to see them do well, but I want to see them do well enough to where people are like, damn it. I just cannot stand this Padres again. If I have to see them again, Manny Machado. Oh my God. On the national stage as if he's never loved. See, I want to see that. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. And I think we'll, we'll not have too much trouble getting there with the Padres. I don't want to say AJ Preller is an unlikable guy. But um, the way they're throwing all the money around and, and trading away all their prospects, I think it would be a, a pretty quick uh, turnaround for a lot of fans to be like, oh, man, they're just buying their way to a championship. Oh, sure, sure. It, it better be a quick turnaround because I think the way they've built themselves, if it doesn't work in the next couple of years, they're going to be in for a lot of trouble. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you talked a little bit about the Mariners. I mean, the Mariners have possibly the most fun, interesting, exciting player in the game in Julio Rodriguez, who... You know, it, it seemed like it it's a thing more common now to see these players come up and just have incredible success. So you look at him last year and Spencer Strider at the Braves and Michael Harris the third uh the second, and we've got all of these different players that that tend to jump up from the minor leagues and make a huge impact in their first couple of years. I wonder if that's kind of driving something about how we watch the players and, and having some unreasonable expectations for rookies coming up from the minors, because some of them are just so wildly successful when they come up. And I didn't know if there was anything that you had that you might feel about this subject about, you know, what kind of expectations we're putting on these young players. And then of course, you know, in Julio Rodriguez's case, he was able to cash in on it very early because he's you know, kind of a generational talent, but it's, it's a very different situation for some of these players being able to come up, being expected to contribute a lot early, and then maybe, you know, having to wait six or seven more years to, to really cash in on that popularity and that excellence. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit more of an ability to cash in now because under the collective bargaining agreement, we now have that that pre-arb pool that a number of players, I can't remember how many players get some cash from it. I imagine only like 10 or 15 get real cash and then a lot of people get a little bit more. So there's at least the beginnings. I think you know, it's the it's the, the camel's nose under the tent, as they say, for getting uh, young players paid earlier. Um, I think that's what the, the Players Association strategy is with that. Um, if you can get teams and people okay with, hey, let's pay these guys for their production rather than just like, you know, give them nothing for three years. 
you might see more of that later. So I, I'm a little less worried now about the, the cash aspects of it than I used to be. It used to be like, oh, my God, I hope this guy doesn't get a big injury in his third year before he can make any money. Um, now I think it's more of a fan expectation thing for me. That's one thing I always worry about. You know, if it, we have such a short attention span as a society these days and social media doesn't help. Julio Rodriguez just put up in his age 21 season, a fantastic, fantastic year, right? He, he was like the best player on the, on the surprising team, uh, put up numbers that in some years are MVP numbers, right? If he has a bad year this year or for a bad for him year this year, you know, people will call him a fraud or a bust or something. And then like, I think people forget, go look at almost any hall of famer who emerged from the sixties through the eighties uh, as a rookie is when they, when their careers began, uh, you will see a lot of false starts. You will see a lot of late starts. You will see guys falling back and then consolidating and figuring it all out at 25 and 26. And if, if Julio Rodriguez has a couple of bad years and then becomes a perennial MVP candidate at age 26, people will think, oh, my God, he's a late bloomer and he's a bust. Whereas in the past, that wouldn't have been terribly uncommon. Yeah, I think that expectation thing is a, is a big change for, for people to understand that, you know, Development isn't linear. Sometimes you go up, sometimes you go down. Well, we have guys that have broken that pattern before, which kind of also screw. I mean, Alex Rodriguez came out of the womb as an MVP candidate and never ceased being an MVP candidate. There are guys like that at any given time. Most of them aren't. (laughs) And so I, I, you know, I hope that people have patience with young stars like that when they break out. Okay. Um, And are there any like uh, uh, uniform changes that you're most interested in, most excited about? I mean, we talked a little bit about the Padres and how they're kind of on their way up, but um, are there any uh, guys that's going to feel super weird for you to see playing for other teams or you're really interested in watching them play for other teams or um, guys you wish really wouldn't have changed teams or wouldn't be on the same team? Any, Any players in that kind of mold for you this year? Well, he's not a major player anymore since he's kind of cratered the last couple of years, but it's still very, very jarring for me to see Cody Bellinger as a cub. Yeah, that's weird. I I, I don't know. I mean, granted, yeah, he had a great season for the Dodgers, a great season or two or whatever before, you know, his injuries or whatever caused him problems. But I just think of him as like the next marquee L.A. guy, even though that's about five years out of date. So, yeah, seeing that one is kind of weird. Yeah, another sort of Dodger related guy I was watching a game on Friday. Again, not major. But, you know, J.D. Martinez as the D.H. for the Dodgers was very strange watching that game uh, Friday afternoon that I saw. That's definitely a weird one. Um, the Dodger related side of things, I saw Justin Turner in his Red Sox uniform for the first time. Oh, it's just, God. It's just a big orange blob. And I was I was just uh, I thought that was so strange with the the clip of him and Kike Hernandez talking. That that reminds me so much of, you know, again, I'm going to age myself here. But in the early 80s, the Phillies gathered a bunch of big red machine reds oh um, yeah 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 they want to pen it with that so let's not like knock it but you know pete rose joe morgan and uh i'm forgetting somebody else you know joined the phillies that's what seeing justin turner and kike hernandez in, in red sox uniform seemed to me now i'm like no nah, this is not your prime <laughs> <laughs> yeah not not exactly and uh and the other one you mentioned um bellinger with the cubs i feel like anybody of the cubs um sign now i maybe it's because the rebuilding years um, that it just feels very out of place. I still seeing Marcus Stroman in the Cubs uniform is very, very odd to me, but Dansby Swanson in a Cubs uniform was also very weird compared to the Atlanta uniforms. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. That one's strange. I, I, you know, in my past, I was a very strong Atlanta Braves fan. I've sort of trailed off on that in the last few years, but I still probably watch more Braves games than I watch of other teams. And yeah, seeing, I haven't seen Swanson play for the Cubs yet. I've only seen like 
photos and stuff of Bellinger because um, I just haven't made a big point to watch a lot of spring training games. But uh, uh, Swanson's going to be a weird one. That's definitely going to be strange. But, I, you know, normally spring training's weird anyway because they're all wearing like batting practice uniforms for the most part. It's very rare that they break out their real uniforms. Opening day is when it's going to be really weird. Yeah, definitely agree there. It's um, when Justin Verlander made his Mets debut and he's wearing the the bright blue Mets shirt. Yeah, it's like that's just he's only ever worn orange before. It's it's very weird, um, it, but it also doesn't look like it looks like he should be playing for like a a, a JV um, Division three <laughs> university team in that that uniform rather than like a pro team. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, g- give me, you know, 40,000 fans in the stands and opening day and all the fanfare, and then I will really start to get my world rocked. I really, you know, appreciate you coming on the show. Is there anything else looking forward to the year that you'd like to touch on? You'd like to talk about anything that really gets you excited? Excited? I don't know if excited is the right word, but I am very curious as to what's going to happen with TV this year. As we on the business side, everybody knows probably that there's that whole business where the regional sports networks, like 17 of the 30 regional sports networks that do local games are at risk of going either bankrupt or not making payments. And Major League Baseball is moving to sort of take over local broadcasts if they have to. I have no idea how that's going to look. I don't know if I'm going to get games over the air with rabbit ears. I don't know if it's going (laughs) to be some new vertical on MLB TV. There have been very few details as to practically speaking how they plan to deliver games if the Bally's networks and the other ones go belly up so uh that one's going to be kind of excited and and I say that as a fan I would I would be upset if I didn't know where my local team's going to be but as someone who writes about national baseball stuff boy that's content baby oh yeah I mean that's that's outstanding and I I really hope people don't lose access to their local teams because the MLB TV blackouts are are bad enough for people, um, you know, not being able to access their local teams. But um, yeah, the the best case scenario here is Major League. Major League Baseball knows it has a problem with the blackouts. They can't do anything about it because these regional sports networks have paid them billions of dollars to do it. If they go away or if they go out of business or they have a, a leverage free renegotiation situation, the best case scenario for fans, and I, I will never bet on it because I don't bet on Major League Baseball doing the best things for us, but the best case scenario would be they put them on MLB TV streaming with no blackouts because they can. They'll figure out the finances for it later, but they will do it. Um, and this is the way through the blackout, even if it takes a couple of years of a bumpy ride to figure out where that emerges on the other side. And that would be great for national people as well as uh, getting your local access. And then in addition to that, you know, MLB TV now is offering a lot of minor league baseball yeah. games, taking yeah. back to, to my content, which is fabulous. This is really exciting that they've kind of merged together the MLB TV and the MLB TV platform so that there's going to be some more access. So, I mean, the worst case scenario that people don't have access to their local team, maybe they can get a little bit more um, minor league baseball um, from teams that are, are at least tangentially located uh, close to their favorite franchise or their location. I think people will love it because one of the things I, I know a lot of people love the minor league experience, but I think to the extent people don't get on board the minor league experience, it's because they've been watching baseball on TV their whole life. And then they go to a minor league ballpark and it, you got to pay a little more attention when you're at a ballpark. And oh, sure. it's a very different thing. But if you have a minor league game easily delivered to you on TV, I know you and me and people who are really in the know have been able to do that for a long time. But if if common fans are able to watch a minor league game in the same way with a center field view camera and some you know competent play-by-play people and everything, they're going to love it. Yeah, 
I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I think that's um, going to be great where I think you're going to have a lot more people maybe who are watching some minor league baseball games and could use that additional coverage. So they'll get Craig's cup of coffee for the major league games and they'll have down on the farm for some of the minor league stuff. And we'll, we'll cover all the bases for them. So complimentary goods, man. <laughs> that's great. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, Craig. And um, what kind of final plugs or shout outs? We've, we've talked up the newsletter a little bit, but if you want to do more to, to sell us on that, which, uh, which hopefully nobody should need sales on that, they should already be, be very excited about the newsletter. But anything else you want to plug before I let you go? Nah, you hit it up. That's my life, man. Cool. Newsletter five days a week and, uh, and I'm on Twitter for free. So, hey, there you go. Well, uh, I, I think we're on Twitter now. Um, it may have broken again. <laughs> I'm not, no, no promises there. No promises. That's why you need to subscribe, everybody. Down on the farm and cup of coffee. We aren't going anywhere. That's too true, too true. So again, I'm Brian. This has been the Down on the Farm podcast. For more great minor league baseball content, scores, prospect profiles, new data and metrics, all the stuff we were talking about before, visit us on downonthefarm.substack.com or at Twitter at downonthefarm12. Um, subscriptions are available at monthly and annual rates. You'll find we're very affordable. Uh, we have over 1,500 subscribers, including plenty of MLB insiders like Craig other folks. Um, so stop by your podcast provider, subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed it, and don't forget to rate and review us. Uh, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next time.